Now, lest we get stuck in the Old Testament and say, well, the house that he's really talking about is that temple that Solomon had just built, but that temple itself was a type, a picture, a token of a new temple that would be made out of living stones, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the chief cornerstone being who? Jesus Christ. We are that living temple. We are now the temple that lifts up those prayers in whom God dwells. And so it may speak in the context of that type and that symbol and that token. But this is a picture of the church where God says, My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house, this house made of living stones, this house whose chief cornerstone is Christ Jesus, that my name may dwell there forever. Your prayers do not hit the ceiling and bounce back. They make it into the courts of heaven. And if God dwells here, where's the court of heaven? Here. I'm going to change the text this morning to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. You'll find it in the Pew Bible on page, I think it's 178, 138. Luke chapter 11. I think it's 178. Or on your electronic Bible. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. This is God's word by the mouth of the Son of God, and recorded by the Spirit of God. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for this word, so simple. And it represents to us one of the biggest challenges of our Christian life. We would pray that you would stir us up unto a full entering in. Not a mere obedience, Lord, but an entering in with joy and with confidence. Because you tell us to do this. And you grant us the grace to fulfill it. Open the page, illumine our minds, teach us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Last week, we started to look into four disciplines of grace. Now, I call them disciplines of grace because they don't make any sense apart from the grace of God working in our lives. That is, God graciously bestows his favor upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he lays out certain things that he would like to see us become conformed to. He places his favor upon us in Christ, and he brings us to life from the dead and from being dead in sins. And once we are brought to life, these are some of the things that start to show up. These are some of the things that he builds into us. They are the fruit of life. The way that the trees bear the fruit of the kind of tree that they are. And so they begin to flow out of us as manifestations of God's gracious work. I call them disciplines because they require a submitted, conscious effort on our part. Yes, God works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. There's no question about that. We've been talking about that in Sunday school. That my obedience is not merely mine, it is God working in me, producing the will for me to obey, and then the ability to obey. It's one of the reasons why we sit underneath the preaching of the word of God week by week by week. It's a meal that feeds us unto conformance to Christ. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we have breakfast every day, right? It's one of the reasons why somehow we eat every day. It's because it gives us life. It gives us the ability to do what we need to do. And so sitting underneath the proclamation of the word is spiritual food for us. And every month we're reminded that that spiritual food is Christ as we come to the table. He enables us to live. Live the way that he describes what life is. God is pleased to see us grow up in grace. But that discipline requires some kind of effort, some kind of application on our part. Let me give you an illustration. Some of you know that I paint. I paint in acrylic. I painted in oil in the past. I really like watercolor. Watercolor is hard. It's difficult. And I have to concentrate on it. I'm not very good at watercolor. Most of the watercolors I produce are perfectly suitable for the bottom of a birdcage. They're just not that great. I'm encouraged because I read other watercolor artists who say, well, you know, I throw away three paintings for every one that I submit to the publisher. Those are professionals. I'm nowhere close. So there's a discipline. I have to keep going at this. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm learning more subtleties about it. But I have to keep going. I have to keep applying myself to it. So that when we talk about disciplines of grace, it's not something that, you know, we get and we move on. And let's, okay, let's do the next thing. No. It's ongoing. It's lifelong. Lifelong disciplines. The continual application of your effort in order to improve in living out this life of grace. We don't do these well. Sometimes we don't do them properly. 
but God picks us up and grants us grace, and we are continually learning and proving by the Spirit's leading and instruction. That's why we call them disciplines of grace. Now, I've taken up these disciplines of grace that I'm talking about, not in any particular order, just as they came to mind. And there's really more than four. I've identified eight so far, and maybe three or four sub-graces, if I can call them that, sub-disciplines. But they all show up in the, in the new, new creation life. They all show up. Not necessarily in the order that I'm presenting them, but they all show up. And so the first discipline of grace that I talked about last week was this grateful generosity to God in our giving. Now, one of the ways that was manifest is, is all the effort and the labor that was invested yesterday in order, to, in order to just clean some things up, right? That's giving to the Lord. The tithes and offerings that we lifted before the Lord this morning, that's giving to the Lord. It's a grateful and generous giving to God's kingdom. And we saw that in the contributions that were given for the tabernacle, when the tabernacle was being built, uh, when they were making collections for it. And there was so much that was given that the, that the workmen finally said, Moses, you've got to tell the people to stop. We have enough. Because God's grace is that super abundant to us. Well, the second discipline that I'm going to speak about this morning is talking to, appealing to, applying to our Heavenly Father. Applying to our Heavenly Father. Now, I've selected this passage from Luke because it's probably more clear about what needs to be said than the earlier passage, uh, which was a little more specific, um, the Hebrews passage. Uh, but I've also selected this passage in Luke. It's, there's two versions of the Lord's Prayer that are presented to us in Scripture. There's the Matthew version, which is given on the Sermon on the Mount. And then there's this. It's a minimalist version, if you want to put it that way. And it's a different context. Jesus is up on the mountain praying somewhere or off on the side in the fields praying somewhere. And his disciples have been observing this. And they're discovering, if I'm going to be following Jesus, if I'm really going to follow him as he calls me to follow him, then I need to pray too. John's disciples pray. I need to pray, but I want to pray like Jesus does. And so they ask him, as Jesus is praying in a certain place, when he finishes, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Do you know that that's where we have to start? We don't automatically know how to pray. We don't automatically get those pieces in place. At every step along the way, we have to say, Lord, teach us to pray. I don't care how many, guy, how many years a guy's been in ministry, right? In my case, it's now approaching 30 years. I still have to ask, Lord, teach me how to pray. Because it's a discipline. We are growing up in this thing. Okay? We don't finally have it nailed down, the professional Christian up front, 
doesn't do it the right way all the time. Right? It's a discipline we're growing up in. it. So the disciples, as they're really seeking to follow Jesus, say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus, Jesus, there's so much that needs to be said about prayer. I could probably go on for a few hours. So this could either be the longest sermon that I'll ever preach or the shortest sermon because of how condensed this passage is. But the point is, I want to walk through this and I want to draw out a few points that are relevant to us here in this church, in this town. This is not, I mean, yes, this teaching is for the church worldwide, but you know what? This teaching is for us here and now. So that's kind of how I want to touch on this passage. So here's, Jesus says this, when you pray, say this. You hear that? When you pray, say this. You hear what Jesus' assumption is here? The assumption is that you're going to pray. That's the assumption, when you pray. Is that an assumption that we should make about ourselves? Is that an assumption as we look at one another, we can we? You know, we should say, well, you know, they all, they pray, he prays, she prays. The fact is, Jesus says, when you pray, do you pray? He's expecting you to. Which is precisely why we have to go back to the disciples' response when they say, Lord, teach me to pray. Because if you don't, you need to learn how. If you don't know how, you need to be taught. Jesus teaches by his spirit through his people. So he, the assumption is that we will pray, that we're going to have this same kind of response, and that Jesus gives us a guide and instructions as to how we may do this. The second thing I need to draw out is, is he says it, all right, I'm going to have to reconstruct the English here so that you get the idea. When y'all pray... Y'all say this, okay? English masks certain things. This is plural. He's not saying when you individually pray. He's saying when y'all pray. Y'all should say this. What he means by that is that we, we are a people in community, very often we say, well, I, I'll just pray on my own. Well, yeah, okay, that's fine, but do you? And if not, well, maybe you need to pray together in a group so that you can learn how to pray more, better, or something. It, we've seen that in Acts. In Acts, very early on in the, in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, um, it, just before Pentecost, there, the, the disciples are gathered and they're attempting to decide what the Lord's will is and they are gathered together in a room praying together, seeking the Lord for the one thing for them. And the disciple who was replacing Judas was selected and then he was numbered with the eleven after they had prayed. They trusted the Holy Spirit to be doing something. We pray 
collectively and corporately, as well as individually. When we get together on Wednesday for prayer, Jesus gathers us. Jesus is the one who gathers us. He brings us into his presence. He guides us and leads us. Now, the advantage is that when we pray together, we hear others praying for things that we overlook. I am very often called up short by listening to the prayers of others because my head is moving one direction, their heart is moving another one, and I'm confronted with the fact that my prayers can be awfully shallow. And I need to hear the saints praying for things so that I can be guided and instructed into a better manner of prayer. I've often been humbled by children and what they are praying because they pray with such boldness and such point-blank honesty and with such sometimes undiluted faith. So it's not a matter of praying with older saints or praying with people your own age. It's praying with others that can be the blessing. So Jesus says, when you all pray, say this. And then he does something that actually takes, takes these disciples by surprise and probably took most of the early church by surprise. And that is, he said, when you pray, say this. Father, Abba, Daddy, Father. His his instruction to us is to come before God the way that children come before their dad. This is intimate. It's a close relationship. It's something that an ancient Jew never really would have claimed for himself. God was too holy and too high. It's It's recognizing the acceptance and love from the Father to us and the reception of the Father. So then here, when we start talking about prayer, the first thing we're talking about is this is relationship. It's not the formality of all the fancy words. I don't care what you sometimes hear from the pulpit. It's it's not the formality. It's the relationship. There is... um, I heard an account from a guy who said that he and his wife had some kind of an altercation and she stopped speaking to him. And in fact, did not speak to him for four weeks. And it was just killing him. And so he finally put a, he wrote up a sign and put it in the bathroom on the mirror that said, if you love me, talk to me. That was enough to break, down the, uh, to break down the tension. And God says that to us, doesn't he? If you love me, talk to me. If you love me, come, come tell me your concerns. We need to understand that whatever this is, it's about relationship, and it's about an intimate relationship, and it's about an intimate relationship with the one who has caused us to be born anew from above. That's what it's about. Which is why it's a spiritual discipline. We have to grow up doing this because 
Frankly, my one-year-old or two-year-old child did not know how to talk to me the way that my 41-year-old child knows how to talk to me. Different sophistication even in the requests. Would you understand what I'm describing, right? Where does our reluctance come from? Why is it that we're so reluctant to come before God? Well, we're not sure God wants to talk to us. We know we feel like we really fall short of whatever he wants, and we just can't bring ourselves to come talk to him and to, to say what we need to. We don't think God wants to hear from us. You know, he's wound up the universe, and he's let it go, and he kind of steps back, and he goes, you know, you're really kind of on your own, figure it out. We, we get these ideas in our head. We don't think that we have anything worthwhile to say, or we can't say it in as sophisticated or fancy a way as what we need or want. Or we, do, we feel we don't love God enough. I mean, you can start stacking in all kinds of reasons as to why we don't actually talk to God, why we don't pray with him. But the fact is that we must draw near with confidence because our approach has nothing to do with our worthiness. Your approach to God in prayer has nothing to do with your worthiness. It has everything to do with Christ's worthiness. He's opened the path. He's pushed the doors open and propped them open and has said, let's go in. Let's go in together. I'll take your prayers and I'll make them understandable. You you can have heartfelt groanings. Look at the quote that was included in this week's bulletin. Samuel Rutherford, Scottish preacher, says this, Words are but the body, the garment, the outside of prayer. Sighs are nearer the heart work. A dumb beggar gets alms at Christ's gates even by making signs when his tongue cannot plead for him, and the rather because he's dumb. Tears have a tongue and grammar and language that our fathers know, that our father knows. Hear this, tears have a tongue and grammar and language that our Father knows. If all you can do is get on your knees before God and weep, God hears your prayer. He hears your prayer. If all you can do is get on your knees and sigh, and groan. God hears your prayer. He knows what you're saying. You don't need fancy words. You need a heart that's committed to relationship with your Heavenly Father. As Rutherford says, babes have no prayer for the breast but weeping. The mother can read hunger in weeping. God can read your need in your tears and in your sighs and in your groans. He wants to hear from his children. And so as we exercise ourselves in this matter of prayer, what we are doing is we are declaring our love for God our love for God, and we are growing up in this grace. This is going to be an ongoing and growing discipline in our lives, privately and corporately, personally and in small groups, alone and with family.
So a few last items to consider, and these are from a broader looking into the scripture. The first one is this. Ask. Come before the Lord and ask. The remainder of the Lord's petition, or the remainder of the Lord's instructions are, give us our bread, give us the, the bread we need for today, forgive us of our sins, lead us not into temptation. Those are requests. Jesus, or, or Paul, James says this, you, have, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We're to come before the Lord and ask. Pause. Do we want this church to grow? Do we want this church to be spiritually healthy? Do we want this church to be vital and fruitful and inviting as a spiritual community? Ask. Ask for it. Don't wait for some magic to happen. Ask God for it and then look for God to provide. He will. He will. And keep asking. Keep asking until he's poured out abundantly and the walls are bursting and people are having to sit somewhere else with remote TV because we don't have space for them. Ask. And then look to him in faith and wait for him to, to, to answer that prayer. The second thing is this. We need to be asking for the blessings of this new era that God is bringing in. So in 1 Thessalonians, we're told, Paul says, I pray that your hearts may be enlightened, that you may be able to know every good gift that the Lord has given you, that he'll he'll give you the knowledge knowledge and wisdom of what God has provided. We need to be asking that for one another. God, grant them the light of wisdom. Grant them the light of knowledge. Because without that, they don't have a vital spiritual life. We need to be asking that for our young people. We want them to have wisdom beyond whatever wisdom we think we have because they're the next generation carrying the gospel forward. That's got to be an appeal and a prayer. God's not going to do that automatically because they're being raised in a Christian home. No, we have to ask. And watch God provide that. Third thing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean always crawling around on our knees and praying. It means that we can pray while we're out walking. We can pray while we're driving off to the grocery store. We can pray while we're in the grocery store. There's a song, a hymn, where there's a line that says, While I breathe, I pray. May that be a character of our lives, that we'll be people who, because we belong to the Lord and he's brought us in before the altar of the Lord, that we'll just, as we breathe, we pray. And then finally this, 1 John 14, 14, Jesus says this, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We need to ask in Jesus' name. And this is not a mechanical throwing on the end of the prayer, in Jesus' name I pray. It means we are in Christ. 
It means that he is our breath, our life, that we are walking in him. That's how we pray, in his name. Now, as we do that, we're going to find that we're going to delight to be in our Heavenly Father's presence, and we're going to be delight to be in his presence with other people, and we're going to, we're going to sense his, his, his smile and his working in us. So, beloved, when you all pray, say, Father, bring these blessings And let's exercise ourselves in a discipline that draws us closer to Christ, that brings us closer to the Father through Christ, and fills us with great delight and bears fruit in our lives. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for this very simple prayer and all that's contained in it. We would ask that you would press these things upon our hearts. Lord, don't don't let us turn them into some formality and mechanical thing, but may these actually be our breath while we breathe. May we pray, and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, as we prepare for the Lord's table, I'm going to ask that we stand and confess our faith together. Those of you who are able, please stand. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. From Luke chapter 22, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who instituted this table. It is his table. But if you know him, if you know him, he invites you to come freely, gladly. There is something solemn here because Jesus died for our sins. He bore them in his body on the tree. That's what we confessed a little bit earlier. But it's also a joy because it means release. Release from your captivity. Release from your deadness. Being brought into life. And so as we approach the table, I'm going to ask that we do it with joy. Seriously, obviously, but with joy. Because Jesus is feeding you with himself. That's what's represented here. His body 
and his blood. And so do this with joy and with a heart that's drawn to the living God in great gratitude for this, for this means, this avenue, this supply by which you can be brought back to your creator and your heavenly father. For those of you who don't know the Lord, I would ask that you would not take the elements because we are told that those who eat in an unworthy way, or eat and drink in an unworthy way, are underneath God's displeasure. My appeal to you is that let the elements pass and see how God cares for his people, how he loves his people. Jesus said this, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the Lord's table. This is the Lord's table for his children. This is the Lord's table given in love to his children. May the Lord use it to strengthen you in grace and in joy. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for this very simple meal. We pray that you would bless these elements to your holy purpose. Ask that you would meet with your people, encourage them, give them joy, Lord, at the salvation which is given to them in your Son, our Lord Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Our Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it. As I minister in his name, give this bread to you. And he said... As often as you do this, take and eat this, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. I would ask that the, those who are helping to serve would come forward. Who do we have this morning? Can we ask uh, Chuck if you'll help, and then Holly. Thank you very much. Thank you. Body of Christ given for you.
body of Christ given for you. The body of Christ given for you. Take, eat, remember, believe. The same way our Lord took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Christ poured out for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take, drink, remember, believe. Let's return thanks, shall we? Lord, this simple meal of bread and fruit of the vine, we receive it from you and thank you for it, but we know that it means so much more than just these tokens. It speaks of food for the journey. It speaks of medication to our souls. It speaks of life so that we may go forward and do what you call us to do. It speaks of all the promises of what you have accomplished for us, and it speaks of your return, which we anticipate with great joy. As these simple things, this bread and this fruit of the vine, nourishes our body, we would pray that your grace would nourish our souls, that we would be strong to do, to walk with you, strong strong to hold on to your hand and to walk with you on the path. Lord, bless your people. Bless these things. Be with us in Christ's name we ask.